0: Hi, my name is Justin. Hi, Justin. <laughs> I might know everyone. Let me turn on my timer here <laughs> all right, uh yes, as it was mentioned already, we are going through the exodus, and I'm so honored to be teaching here. I love this family. Thank you, Michelle. That was solid. I mean like a ten minute huzzah for community. That's what we were made for. Uh, really appreciate that. We're going to miss you. Um, just a warning, I'm not going to be referencing Tim Keller or the Lord of the Rings, so <laughs> apologies already. Uh, we're going to start off right there, setting the bar low. Today we're in Exodus 7, uh, verses 1 through 13. Go ahead and turn there now. Essentially, this is the, uh, the snake showdown where Aaron throws down his staff, it becomes a serpent. Pharaoh's dudes throw down their staffs. And of course, they're gonna have me preach on the snake handling text. Don't worry, we're not practicing handling snakes. Sorry, Meryl's rolling her eyes really good right there. Um, Let me pray real quick. Lord, give us a double anointing. Uh, Anoint my words, my lips, our ears. Uh, Let us be able to receive what you have for us. Do your work. King of kings and Lord of lords, I yield to you. Um, I pray that you would just let me get out of the way and you do what you want. Claim the honor that you deserve and that you have won for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting off, we're going to do a brief flyover Exodus. So we have the context because this is an interesting, very strange uh, chunk of text that makes a lot more sense in context. Um, Every sermon in the series this far has referenced the Exodus as the salvation event in the Old Testament. That's absolutely true. Uh, Everything comes from the Exodus, the law, uh, the identification of God's people as God's people. The Exodus sets it all up. Without the Exodus, uh, we don't have any of that. So quick uh, bullet points of the main players in this story we've got Moses, the anti-hero. And I'm calling him the anti-hero because he doesn't have a lot going for him. Uh, He's not the traditional hero of the traditional story. He is drawn out of the water and from the Hebrew people and he's raised in Pharaoh's house because Pharaoh tried to kill all the Hebrew boys. And Moses is like the premier uh, mediator between God and man. But I'm calling him the anti-hero because first, he fails before he even starts his mission. He murders a man. Um, so he's prone to violent outbursts. He needs constant reassurance, and we're gonna see that a little bit in our text. Uh, he's not courageous, though, to be fair. Anyone that has a divine call on their lives likely has similar need for constant reassurance. I don't know if any of you guys have a call on your life. Um, <laughs> but you might need that same reassurance. That's okay. Um, Number three, he doesn't really do anything, especially not on his own. Uh, He just shows up and God tells him what to say and he says it. And then Aaron does, well. So, And then he has a public speaking issue. He has a, a mumble or a stutter or something like that. And yet God wants him to be his mouthpiece. I would choose a mouthpiece that's very clear and succinct and enunciates. And God doesn't do that. He chooses Moses the stutterer. But there is one thing that Moses has going for him. He is obedient eventually, which really makes up for all the other uh, issues of his being an antihero. Then we've got the sidekick, Aaron. He's Moses' older brother. He's essentially the mediator's mediator. Um, and really, though, why do we need Moses? If God's going to speak to Moses, going to speak to Aaron, going to speak to Pharaoh or God's people, Moses really is the unnecessary extra step. Uh, which is interesting that God would call Moses to do this crazy, to be part of the salvation event in the Hebrew Bible. And he's unnecessary. And he says, God, please don't. I can't do this. And God meets him in the middle and says, Fine. I'll let your older brother go with you. Aaron will will be your mouthpiece. You be my mouthpiece and Aaron will be yours. So God is willing to meet Moses in the middle. Um, And so Moses is like highly lifted up among the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. He's made the hero faith list in Hebrews, but he's totally unnecessary to the story. I guess it makes sense though, because if God is choosing a people, to make a name for himself, it would make sense that he would choose a man who does nothing of his own to tell the people that. Uh, so then we have the antagonist, the bad guy of all bad guys, Pharaoh. Everyone say, Argh. Argh. Thank you. <laughs> He's the baddest bad guy uh, in the Bible up to this point, uh, up to this point. He's characterized by a hard heart. He's the epitome of arrogance. And uh, he's considered to be divine. He's one of the ancient Egyptian gods. Um, And he is the king of the greatest superpower in the ancient world. Egypt is by far and away the most powerful, dominant country in the area because 400 years ago, Joseph, from the prison to the palace, had dreams and prepped Egypt to have uh, storehouses for the, the famine that God sent. So Egypt is the superpower because of a Hebrew that was in the palace. Um, and Egypt is a pantheistic culture who worships many gods and does not care for the influx of these prolific immigrant peoples. And then we have the Israelites, the Hebrews, um, The biblical narrative has focused on creation and the covenant of blessing with this specific family. And at the end of the book of Genesis, that's where we're introduced to Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house, in the prison, in the palace, helping set up Egypt as the massive superpower that it was. Um, Now, Israel, in, in the beginning of Genesis, Israel is the special guest of Egypt because of what Joseph has done. 430-ish years later, there's a new Pharaoh, obviously, and he has forgotten Joseph, and the Israelites go from being the special guests to the slaves. Pharaoh has demoted them significantly. Um, and this is a really important part right here. They are characterized by hopelessness, despair, and they are utterly powerless. Powerless. In fact, Exodus 6, 9 says they didn't listen to Moses. Moses tells them, hey, God's gonna rescue us from our slavery. And they sa- it says, they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Essentially, they are stuck. They are so hopeless that even when God promises deliverance, they can't receive it. A couple chapters before, Moses said, hey, God spoke to me. Let's go ask Pharaoh for a week off. And Pharaoh says no and makes it worse. I'll tell you more about that in a second. They hoped for deliverance previously, and it never came. And then we have Yahweh. I am uh, the Lord, the deliverer, the rescuer. He's the one that does all the work. He's the one uh, who will reveal himself through this as the dominant one over all things. Uh, he has been planning this for years and has great purpose for it all, uh, though we don't see the purpose for a long time. And he's the one that is constantly telling his people that he's in control and that he's trustworthy. Paul said a couple of weeks ago, if you could summarize the whole Bible in two words, it would be trust me, solid. All right, so here's the flyover, here's the timeline, here's the context. <laughs> if you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading it right change that um so so moses has already failed he's already committed murder and he goes back to hiding on the back end of the desert and he sees this burning bush and god reveals himself and calls moses to deliver israel you remember this i'm just gonna say it anyway uh Moses says no 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 you have the wrong guy I can't do this this is not for me and Yahweh does not let him off the hook so he gives Moses Moses these miraculous signs and Moses still argues with him even after these miraculous signs and says I can't do this so God rolls his eyes and then gives him Aaron I know it's a summary God doesn't roll his eyes Uh, So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, ask for allowance for a brief Hebrew journey to the wilderness to worship. Instead of allowing them, Pharaoh takes away the straw that they had been using to make bricks. And he says, now you have to make bricks without straw. You have to get your own straw. In fact, Pharaoh says, quote, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. I will not let Israel go. Makes the work harder. In fact, he tells them in chapter five, verse four, get back to your burdens. That's dark. Like that's demonic. That smells like sulfur. Sulfur. Have you guys heard that before? Get back to your burdens. Mm -mm. That's bad. So the people gripe at Moses and Moses gripes at the Lord. Put yourself in Moses' shoes here. He says, why did you send me? Ever since I obeyed you, Pharaoh has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Essentially, I obeyed you. You haven't done your part. I'm waiting. You promised. Where are you now? That's, a, that's harsh. That's one star on the, the review. That is not... God doesn't crush him for saying that either. Perhaps you have experienced that. Perhaps you've said that. God is quite powerful enough and mature enough not to squash you for the times that you're honest with him. That was free. All right, so we're in chapter six now. God responds in the strangest way to Moses. Moses. Instead of squashing them, he says, watch what I do to Pharaoh. And then he makes a list of promises to Moses. First, I will rescue you from your burdens. He's already said that a few times. I will deliver you from your slavery. He said that a few times. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And then ramping up, God says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Now, this is a promise of a new identifier. I will make you mine. That will be the banner over you, is that you belong to me. And then he says, you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and I will bring you into the promised land. So essentially, I will make you mine, and you will know that you're mine, there will be no question about it in your mind that you belong to me and that I'm the one that rescued you. So Moses responds again, how will Pharaoh listen to me? (laughs) So then we see this really weird commercial break in the text. This is in chapter six, there's 13 verses of genealogy. So like this major slow build to climax and then last time on, it, it pauses for this strange so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. Why? Why this intrusive list in the text, which is, you know, a a good narrative. You got the problem, and it builds and builds and builds and builds, and then there's some kind of resolution, and then, ah, so everyone can take a deep breath and, like, you know, go eat more popcorn or something. This has a pause in the middle. What's the pause? Is it a commercial? It's not actually a commercial break. This is just such good writing, Impossible to do in the ancient Near East. This is from the Lord. And so uh, it's not a commercial break. It's actually a flashback. So this is reminding, this harkens back to the prophecy and the promise. So there's, there's this buildup, this tension, and then there's this, you know, it like goes half gray on the screen and goes back to following the line back up to Israel. And God's, it's like God saying, aha, remember this? Remember when I promised Israel? Even all of the covenants that I've made with my people up to this far, converging on this one point, remember what I promised Israel? These are the great, 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 great grandsons of the promise. So in the text, it's connecting Israel to Moses and Aaron, or rather Moses and Aaron back up to Israel. And so God is saying that promise still applies. So instead of the commercial break, break, it's a flashback. And then we're like, okay, what's gonna happen here? What was the promise? The promise was that I will make you great and your descendants will be more numerous than the sand and the stars. And from your line, I will bless all the families of the earth. This is way bigger than just removing one tribe from its oppressors in North Africa. There's a worldwide effect on this. I will bless the entire world through your line. And he's telling people that are massively oppressed: I will make you great. You're going to change the world from your line. Every family will be blessed. Now we get to our text. Thank you for the uh, intro that you let me do. Uh, So immediately in chapter 7, verse 1, we see a pivot uh, in the narrative. Up to this point, it's been all talk. Uh, It's been all promises. It's been all hope with no action, no real proof to look to. So essentially, this is the, the showdown. Cue the fog machines. Blast the, uh, the theme song and uh, turn on the lights. In the, corner of the, the, in the corner on the left, we have the God-man, king of Egypt, the ultimate superpower in the world, Pharaoh. <sighs> uh, and in the corner on the right, we have Moses. <laughs> the guy, the shepherd, who's 80. And, and his older brother, Aaron. Hooray! <laughs> All right, so verse one, chapter seven. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. That's a, I'm just gonna go verse by verse and tell you a little bit about it. Very interesting. Uh, I have made you like Elohim. Uh, now, I think that this text is saying, listen, I'm not sending you in there alone. I'll give you signs and wonders and a prophet. So usually uh, the prophet gets the word from God, tells the people, uh, but Aaron is the prophet. So God gives the word to Moses who gives the word to Aaron. Anyway, uh, it's a strange call that both of these guys are called prophets, Moses and Aaron, because they're Levites. They're priests. So apparently you can be both. Uh, Verse two, you shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. (laughs) You say what I say and Aaron will say what you say. But, verse three, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, pause. Signs and wonders in the book of Exodus, ah, signs and wonders are out through the whole book, y'all. Miracles uh, from the beginning to the end of the book still available today. Some people think they're not. Those people are wrong. Uh, There's another problematic phrase in that verse. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, A lot of the uh, the writings about Exodus 7 focus on that part. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I'll mention briefly, I'm probably not gonna give you a satisfactory conclusion. Uh, Did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? (laughs) A lot of folks don't like the the thought that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. In fact, it kind of sounds like God's ready to just press a button and turn what was a soft heart into a heart of stone. I don't think that's the case, obviously. Pharaoh is already well-established as the bad guy. He's established as arrogant. He already considers himself a deity. But in the biblical worldview, everything is from God. So um, whether Pharaoh hardened his heart, his heart or God hardened his heart, essentially God hardened his heart, but also Pharaoh hardened his heart. So uh, sorry about that. So the logical question when people are chewing on this and wrestling with it, is how can God punish those who he hardens? Um, in this text, it's pretty clear that the hardening that Pharaoh receives is judgment and that God has this for a purpose because he's setting up this major, major narrative where he makes God, God's people his people. Um, I think I've seen... Hardening be a form of judgment before. I've seen some folks on the verge of freedom and then they snub their nose at it and then uh, go down. It tears me up. Don't let that be me, Lord. Pharaoh has already said at this point, who's Yahweh? I don't know him. I will not let them go. Total arrogance. Pharaoh is not neutral. He's not innocent. And God is right to judge him with hardness. All right, so verse three, I will harden even though I do signs and wonders. Verse four, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So even the plagues are judgment. They bring freedom to God's people and terror to the oppressors. Plus in chapter three, God tells Moses that he already knows. He says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So here is where we stumble on something yet unseen in the Exodus story. Verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Egypt from among them, the people of Israel from among them. So far, we've read that I'll make a people for myself, I'll rescue you, and you will know that, I'm, that you're mine and I'm yours. But now God's saying, even the oppressors are going to know that you're mine and I'm yours. Even the bad guys, even the, the slave drivers... And these guys are only going to know unless the problem escalates, unless it gets worse, unless it, sorry, I keep popping. Is that all right? Unless it gets worse and worse. Can y'all still hear me? Okay. If Pharaoh had capitulated, if he said, okay, fine, you can go, the first time that Moses asked, it would have been a good story, but it wouldn't have been the epic that spread for the whole world. And I mean, we're talking a few thousand years. We're still talking about it today. It wouldn't have been that epic. It wouldn't have represented the ultimate destruction of the forces of evil and oppression that it eventually did. Without Pharaoh's hardening heart, there would be no building to this climax that ends, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna ruin the story for you. I will uh, give you a peek into the New Testament that references Pharaoh. Romans 9, another sweet text, difficult though. So, it says, Romans 9, 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. So now the promise goes way beyond just freedom, way beyond the promised land, beyond the Israelites knowing. Now it's even the pagans will know that I'm God. (laughs) And they will know it begrudgingly and inescapably that the God of the Hebrews, the God that was previously unknown to them, is the supreme God. In fact, many times in the future conquest of the promised land, God's people are told we heard what God did to Pharaoh. We heard what your God did to Pharaoh and we're shaking in our boots. L- leave us alone. Don't, don't crush us. Verse six, Moses and Aaron did so. They did exactly what the Lord commanded. They did just as the Lord commanded them. So that guys is the crux. That's money right there. They don't bring anything to the table except obedience. that better take a lot of pressure off of you to read that. The only thing they bring to the table is obedience. And they have access to divine authority because they are under his authority. When you submit to God and you're obedient to him and he's telling you to do stuff, you can do the crazy stuff. So Moses was 80 years old and Aaron, 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So They are aged. Uh, They actually begin their ministry at what most would consider too late, the end of their lives. Um, Interesting that God sent them out in pairs. Jesus does the same thing when he sends out his 12 disciples and then the 72 in Luke 9 and 10. He says, go out, preach that the kingdom of God is available You don't have to be a slave like you have been. Now you can be a slave to God. And then he says, show the people what the kingdom of God looks like. Heal their diseases and cast out demons. Verse eight, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may, may, may become a serpent. I love this because a few chapters earlier, God tells Moses, take your staff and throw it down. And this is just God and Moses by the burning bush. Uh, so Moses is like, okay. He throws it down. It becomes a serpent. And it says, and then Moses ran. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting to see a pivot in this Moses character now. Um, but what is the meaning of a staff becoming a serpent. Very interesting. Uh, A staff, the the word staff and scepter are the same Hebrew word. It's used to assist in walking. It's used in discipline. It's used in shepherding. Uh, Sometimes these staffs are super ornate and like a a king would have a staff, but it's called a scepter um, and it would be essentially a sign of his authority, So when Jesus talks about in Revelation, I have a scepter of iron that I use to smash the nations with. Like that's major authority language there. Um, so it's a symbol of someone's authority. And Moses, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. So when Aaron does it, obviously it's miraculous because God's in it. But the text says that the magicians did the same by their secret arts. The text does not make it clear whether or not the magicians were able to do miracles or if they, you know, put the stick, aha, oh, now it's a snake. Like it doesn't say, it says they use trickery, but it doesn't say that their um, powers were not legitimate. Which is, which is interesting. I mean, that's the first place I would go to. Like, oh, God has power, but these guys are just fake. They're, they're uh, charlatans. They're pulling a fast one on you. It's just an illusion. Um, the text doesn't do that. I can tell you for sure that the enemy's camp also has access to signs and wonders. The author here does not pause to say, those are fake, ours is real. That's a Western view of the supernatural, not a biblical view. In fact, a couple of friends and I were sharing the gospel with a dear, dear friend. This is like a few years ago. And as we're sharing the gospel, uh, pain starts manifesting in his head. And he's like, ah, stop, stop talking. Ah. He starts freaking out. And I'm like, whoa, that's, Really weird timing. Maybe this is spiritual. And so we lay hands on him and we pray. Okay, Lord, if this is a distraction, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. And then he's like, oh, thank you. My pain went away. Awesome. Okay, well, let's get back to it. So we start sharing again. And about 10 seconds later, oh, I got this pain in my back. It, more pain manifesting in his back. And we're like, that's weird. So we pray again, rebuke it. It goes away. For 30 minutes, we chased pain around this guy's body. This is in Houston. This is not on the other side of the world. This is in Houston. And the other two guys were very Baptist. So they're like, what is going on here? I'm like, this is the first time I've seen it. And I texted them this morning. I'm like, you guys remember that? If you don't believe me, you can look at my text. They're like, man, that was so crazy. Yes, I'm weird, but this is biblical. Hmm. So the author doesn't say, ours is real, theirs is fake. He goes a step better. This is such good writing. Verse 12, for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. What? Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. So I'm assuming they're in the palace. We've got Moses and Aaron here, Pharaoh and all his dudes over there. They're just throwing sticks on the ground. And you know what's fascinating? In verse 12, it says Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. It doesn't say his serpent swallowed up their st- serpents. In preparation for this, I watched like 30 YouTube videos of snakes eating other snakes. It's a slow process, y'all. They don't have thumbs. It's not like, Kuck,uck,uck. it's, it, I won't describe it. But essentially, the biblical text says that a staff gobbled up, crunch, 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 the other staffs. So what's, why a staff to a snake? Why a scepter to a serpent? What does that mean? So God tells this prophet priest to throw down his symbol of authority in front of the evil king. The second that the prophet priest is obedient, his scepter or staff becomes an animal that represented the curse in the garden. Now you mention a serpent to any Jew, immediately they're thinking about the garden. They're thinking about Adam and Eve the tricky one who was cursed to slither on his belly. <laughs> so if you read things about snakes in the Old Testament, immediately you're back in Genesis. And so the, the, the people, as they're hearing this, surely Moses and Aaron are talking about it like, guys, I don't know what happened, but look what just happened. Um, so the, the Israelites have to be hearing this and thinking, what, a snake? Snakes are bad. How could Moses expect to set us free through the use of the cursed animal? I'll come back to that. Everyone casts down their symbols of power. Team Yahweh throws down their symbol of authority. Team Pharaoh does the same. Team Yahweh's staff devours their staffs. If you're going to throw down your sign of dominion and it eats someone else's sign of dominion, this ain't gonna be a fair fight. It's not an even match. And so here we see the curtains of history straining to hold back what's coming. A very patient God who is willing to wait so long for the resolution of this epic story, even now. Today, the story is still drawing to a close. So Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, the crown, the jewel on the crown of creation, the treasure of heaven, the scepter of God Almighty is thrown down and becomes a curse so he can devour the curse. That's what he did. He devours the serpents and sets us free. He redeemed us From the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Why? Why why is there the Exodus? Why is this part of our shared story? Psalm 105, I I suggest you read it. It's essentially the whole Exodus story in a very brief uh, summary. There's a couple interesting verses in there. Psalm 105 verse 16 says that God summoned the famine that put Israel into slavery under the Egyptians. And then Psalm 105 25 says that God instigated the hostility of the Egyptians against God's people. And then in Exodus nine, it says, God's speaking to Pharaoh. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This story could be called God's self-revelation to humanity. First to Moses, then to Israel, then to Pharaoh in Egypt, and then to the entire world. We've got Rahab in a few books Uh, And Jericho saying, we heard about what Yahweh did to the great Pharaoh and the great Egypt. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you Israelites. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That'll preach. It's a pagan. The pagans are saying that. Application. Do you have something? That's ruling over you. Are you enslaved to something? What is oppressing you? The application to this text is that you can be set free. Are you stuck in despair? Have you been told, get back to your burdens? Are you in that uncomfortable period where God has made a promise to you and you're just waiting for the fulfillment, telling the Lord like Moses, we obeyed and it just got worse? You can be set free. A couple years ago, my little sister who was made to be a mother had a miscarriage and just really struggling with it. All of her friends are pregnant. She works at a school where a bunch of parents are just terrible parents and they're having 20 kids. And so she called me one day, just full of despair. She has heard the accuser say to her over and over, you will never know their joy. Made to be a mother. So she's like calling me on her way home from work, crying. She's like, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, but first you need to rebuke the spirit of despair. She's like, okay, how do I do that? And I said, spirit of despair, I rebuke you. She's like, oh, okay, whatever. So she said it. Spirit of Despair, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And then for the next 15 or 20 minutes, she's belching over and over. Yeah, I know that's super weird. Um, but I had just read in one of my weird books uh, that sometimes there are physical manifestations to spiritual realities, and there's actually quite a lot of documentation about that. Um, And so then she's like, I feel so much better. And I'm burping. I didn't even drink any. Anyway, um, so then we prayed and God spoke to her. And so the enemy had told her, you will never know their joy. And then God spoke to her and said, daughter, joy will be yours. And then she heard bundle of joy. And I was like, I think that's a promise. I think you can take that to the bank. She's nine months pregnant now? Any day. I was doing some prep uh, for the sermon here, and I heard three things that I want to speak freedom over you about. Um, Fear, freedom from fear, freedom from addiction, and freedom from lust. So the the freedom from fear, there's like 15 different pieces. I want you to be free of fear of judgment or fear of lack. Like God won't provide or you won't have enough. And fear of being found out like you're not good enough and you're a fraud and that's going to be revealed. Guys, you are not foolish to think that freedom is possible. Israelites thought that. We're fools if we believe this joker again. He told us he'd deliver us. He hasn't delivered us at all. You're not foolish to hope. (laughs) We have a lot of little stories of breakthrough from our little family here. This one. Josiah, like two years ago, my seven-year-old, had a really bad dream. And so I asked. I told him to pray with me, and I said, "Imagine all of your fears were gathered up and put into a box, and we go and present that box to Jesus, who sits on the throne. Now ask Jesus what He wants to do with the box." And so Josiah goes, "Jesus, what do you want to do with the box of my fears?" And then he t- Josiah tells me, unaided by me, he said, "Jesus got down off the throne, opened the box, and ate my fears." I was like, you can't even go back to those if you try. He ate them, they're gone. <laughs> this week, uh, little Brooklyn saw some scary stuff on TV about a dragon and I was really messing with her. She couldn't sleep. It was, it was creating a lot of fear in her. And so <laughs> she just happened to be at the elders meeting that we had or the elder candidate meeting Tuesday night and so we prayed over her and we I taught her uh something to say uh anytime the enemy whispers about this dragon that's gonna get her do you remember what it was Brooklyn that's right yeah in Jesus name go away say it louder yes yes and amen fear get out in Jesus name my, my four-year-old Sam is really good at that one. If you want to, say, ask him, hey, Sam, say fear, get out in Jesus' name. He'll be like, fear, get out in Jesus name. <laughs> Despair, get out in Jesus' name. Addiction, get out in Jesus' name. These things are available to you and they have power and authority because Jesus gives it to you. Don't pretend that there's not a spiritual war going on. That's who our fight is against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of rulers in the spiritual realm. This is the fight. This is the dominion that Jesus has earned. He ate the other snakes and he gives us that dominion. Your words have power. So then we talked, Brooklyn and us, talked about the son of Adam and Eve that would crush the snake's head that's in Genesis or the fact that Jesus who is riding on a white horse and a sword is coming out of his mouth and he's robed in white except for the red blood on the bottom of his robes from the blood of his enemies and he's got a name written on his thigh I don't even know what that means but there's all this authority and he takes the dragon in Revelation and throws it into the sea of fire, the lake of fire. We got a promise at the beginning. We have the fulfillment at the end. We win. Freedom is available now. Freedom is available now. Whew, both ends of the book. Romans 16, this is another thing I gave Brooklyn here. Romans 16, verse 20. If you take taken notes, this might be a good one. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's Genesis. Jesus crushes the snake, I thought, right? <laughs> yes, but he uses your feet to do it. God used Moses, the anti-hero. Moses was good at the important stuff. He listened and obeyed and a nation was set free. You get to be part of that same bringing of freedom too, to the point of your obedience. God will use you as long as you're willing to obey. Let me pray. Jesus, you are the chain breaker. You came to become a curse in order to consume the curse, to set your people free and to bring us back home. We exalt you, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none like you. All the praise is yours forever. Continue to set your people free, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.